many of you were here on Wednesday night? We had some people here on Wednesday night. Good. Praise the Lord. Well, Wednesday night we talked about the doors that God was opening for us. And those doors also, you know, often being full of adversaries. That's not always a fun thing to think about, is it? We want doors to be wide open without anybody standing in them. Those are the kind of doors I want. I want you to give me uh, a door that just is, is purely just, just wide open with, with maybe, maybe some children you know, throwing down flowers in front of me and, and, and a parade of people singing. Uh, that's, that's the kind of door I want you to open, just so I, I don't want any opposition when I go through that door. Often people will go through uh, doors and they will say, uh, must not have been God. Why? Well, this didn't work out. Must not have been God. So we stopped. Because we faced some opposition or because our car didn't start. Well, the Lord must not have wanted us to go to church today. If the Apostle Paul had had that attitude, he would have never he just would have stayed in Jerusalem for the rest of his life in hiding. If Jesus had had that attitude, he would have quit right away and said, must not be the father's will for me to do this ministry thing. I don't know. There's too many people that don't like me. I mean, his hometown, they don't respect him. They don't honor him. This must not be the will of the Lord. That's not what that's not what happened. We serve a God who put us in the middle of a battlefield and gave us every tool we needed to win. And that's the coolest part about all of this is that he's given you every tool to win. And your part is to say, Lord, where are the doors? So what did we talk about on Wednesday night? We saw how the doors would be doors of utterance. The Bible calls it talks about a door of faith being opened, that the doors have more to do with what God has prepared and what you're going to say and the people that are going to receive it and very little to do with circumstances or opportunities. I'm talking about what the world would see as an opportunity. See, what we see as an opportunity is completely different. When Jesus speaks to his disciples, he says, they're going to throw you in prison. They're going to put you on trial. This will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. How many of you would have viewed that as an opportunity? I was arrested. What an opportunity. This is an opportunity for my testimony. Well, it all depends whose voice you're listening to, whose plan you're following, and whether you're able to see in the light or whether you're still walking in darkness as the world does. Because when Jesus said, I walk in the light, There is light all the time. He says there are a certain amount of hours in the day and the man who walks in the light, you know, as long as we walk in the light, we know where we're going. As long as we walk in the light, we know who's leading us. As long as we walk in the light, we know that there is nothing that can stop what God has spoken to you except your own unbelief. Did you know when God speaks to you about something, the only one who has the power to really derail it is you? There are others that will try to derail it. There are others that come at you. But God wouldn't have spoken to you had you not been able to do it. God already saw the adversaries. He saw the opponents. He saw those that that would step against you. He saw those that would try to stop you. He already saw all of that. And yet he still called you. And when he called you, when his voice comes, the grace to do it follows. The grace of God always accompanies the voice of God. 
So when you hear the voice of God, you don't hear it like a commandment, like if you don't do this, I'm going to spank you. And I'm not sure you can do this, but you better try. When you hear the voice of God, you've just been empowered to do it. Thank God. So if the Lord said, I want you to go to Medicine Hat and I want you to, to start preaching at a gas station and there's going to be 300 people born again, you just received not only the commission, but the power to get that done. In fact, even a commission, think about that. When an artist is commissioned to do a work, what does that mean? He's hired, isn't he? He's given everything he needs to get it done. Uh, an artist is not commissioned. It's not just a command and he works as a slave. When he is commissioned, he is enabled to do that. He's, he is given the materials. He's given, he's, his expenses are paid when he wants to do it. When you're commissioned for something, it doesn't just mean you're told to do it. You are empowered to do it. So when Jesus gave the great commission and he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations. When he said these things, you recognize that, that Jesus is not just saying, Try your hardest. He's giving you every tool you need. In fact, before he says all that, he says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Therefore, ties it all together, doesn't it? Therefore, go. So when you hear the go part, you've got to. If we're going to be proper in our biblical interpretation, we've got to tie it to what he said before there. When I hear go, I've got to remember all authority. Now, I've said this before, but we'll say it again. All authority in heaven and on earth. Is there any other authority there? That's, that's all of it, isn't it? There's no authority left out of that. And all has been given to Jesus Christ. Now, we think of names... Very differently than they thought of names in the Bible, don't we? When we talk about names, we talk about something that somebody's going to call you and you're going to recognize it and you're going to answer because that's your name. But in Bible times, a name was so much more than that. In fact, Proverbs talks about a name, a good name, being worth more than riches. Do you ever wonder when you read the book of Revelation, you read the first three chapters to the church, he talks about, he says, the one who overcomes, I will give him a name. I'll give him a new name. He talks about, he's, in another place he says, I'll give you my name that no one knows. Isn't that interesting? You go, I don't need a new name. I like my name. What's wrong with my name? Does the other one sound cooler? Because we've been so brainwashed by our present culture that we think the coolest thing of a name is how, is how neat it sounds when you say it. Right? Yeah. We sold a book. I remember at the, when I worked at the bookstore, there was a book that came in, and we all thought it was going to be a book about name meanings, right? Because that's most of the time when we're naming our children, we're thinking about what that means. We should be, at least. Now, if you named your kids some weird thing before you got born again and you knew better, tell you what, you, you encourage them, you give them such, you fill them with the word that their name is, you know, not just what you call them, but you, you speak the word into them enough, that becomes like their name. They begin to hear. If you say you're more than a conqueror every day of their life, that's like their name. They know they're more than a conqueror. But there was a book in the store, and it was a name book. And you know what this name book was? It wasn't about name meanings. It was, it was organized by sound. It's just finding a name that sounds cool. 
that rhymes with the things you want it to rhyme because someday some boy is going to take your girl out and you want him to be able to serenade her with a good song. So give her a name that rhymes with a lot of neat lyrics. So we think a name's all weird. You know, we, it, much has been made of Jabez and his name, which meant pain. Uh, there was a big book re- written about it. Everybody knows it now. I mean, there's plaques and paintings and things like that. But can you imagine somebody had been named Jabez today? We wouldn't have thought anything of it. Jabez, that's a cool name. I, can I call you Jab? You know, this wouldn't have meant anything to us. But Jabez, it affected his whole life. And he actually cries out to the Lord and said, oh, that I may not cause pain. So when the Lord talks about a name, he's not talking about some cool thing you're going to get called, recognize it, turn your head. That's not what a name is about. A name has authority. A name has reputation. A name has honor. A name has some big degree of weight to it. So when we have the name of Jesus... We talk, about, we talk about the name of Jesus and, and we say, well, in the name of Jesus. If you say in the name of Jesus, the demons have to flee. And, and in our North American mind, we, we sometimes, I remember reasoning this out as a kid, thinking, well, when they hear that name, it reminds them about what Jesus did. But we're thinking like, like we would name somebody, like just that name, like, a, like somebody named Brent hurt me. So every time I hear Brent, I get angry. That's not what the demons are afraid of. The name is not just a name that reminds them of their defeat. That name is the authority, is the power. It is everything he is. So when he says pray in the name of Jesus, it does not matter. I'm going to say something that may freak you out for a minute. Whether you say in the name of Jesus at the end of the prayer or not does not determine whether it's in the name of Jesus. We've said this before. I can pray. How many times do you see in the book of Acts when they start out and, and Peter goes, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And, and they, they question him and they say, how did you do this? He said, it wasn't by my piety. It wasn't by my holiness. But it was in that precious name of Jesus that his man was healed. But later on, you go through. And they just say things like, stand on your feet, arise. (gasps) They're not doing it in the name of Jesus anymore. Yes, they are. They're absolutely doing it in the name of Jesus. Just because they didn't say in the name of Jesus doesn't mean it's not in the name of Jesus. If you go around and heal the sick in his name, you didn't have to say in the name of Jesus for it to be in his name. You're doing it as if he was doing it in his name. You're doing it with his authority in his name. You're doing it in his power in his name. Now, I say in the name of Jesus all the time because it reminds me that I'm doing it in his name. And and for the person I'm praying for, often it reminds them that it's not by me. It's Jesus that's healing them. But whether or not you said in the name of Jesus, you know, Lord, you know, um, I just want you. Sally has just has just ticked me off one too many times. And I pray that you strike her down with sickness. And and I want it to be long and slow sickness, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, that wasn't in the name of Jesus. It's not like abracadabra at the end of your prayer. And Jesus goes, oh, I used my name. Oh, now I got to do it. Wasn't in the name of Jesus. It wasn't what he would do if he was praying. You didn't ask him whether he wanted that done. So you're not doing it in his name. I sent Josh out with my credit card. Josh goes to Walmart and say, Josh, here's my card. 
I want you to buy a basketball. And Josh buys a basketball, but then he sees some tires that he wants, and he buys the tires. And then he goes over, and fruit roll-ups. You know, I like fruit roll-ups. And then he gets those. And then, and then you know, he's walking around, and he says, you know, we, we need diapers for JL, and, and I think we should get some of those. And, oh, look at this. Look at this. They've even got... Uh, 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 they've got this big TV that we, that'll go great on our wall, you know. And he's got my card, but he's no longer shopping in my name. Why? Because I didn't tell him to get those things. So it's not in my name. Jesus only said what the Father told him to say. He only did what he told, the Father told him to do. So everything he did was in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. His name was the name above all names. And listen to this. Through his obedience in Philippians 2, it says that when he became obedient, he humbled himself to the uh, to uh, taking a form of a bondservant, becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross, that God highly exalted him and gave him a name. Now, you think, what's his name now? Jesus. What we call him hasn't changed but his name has changed. Is that weird? What we call him the same thing. We still say Jesus, but he has a new name. You see, when you say Jesus now, you're not speaking to Jesus that walked the earth. He did walk the earth, but you're speaking to the risen, exalted Jesus who holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave, who sits at the right hand of the Father. That name has more power than if you had said it before he was born. Now, of course, we know that faith looks into the future, that Abraham saw his day and rejoiced, that Abraham, even through Jesus, his faith was credited to him to righteousness. Jesus, it says, through Jesus, all the worlds were made. Everything was created. So don't think that we don't think in such a linear time base that we just think, well, before before Jesus died, this wouldn't have had any power, but it has power now. No, that name has power because he was risen. But but get this. God saw Jesus dying and being risen from the dead before it happened. And and even when that happened, Abraham looked forward, saw that day, and was saved from torment and punishment through his faith that God would send a deliverer. Let's not get too far over into that. But that name is the name that's above every name. That name has power. That name has strength. That name has honor. That has integrity. And we bear that name. You think about that, that we bear his name. And I sometimes stop for a moment and think just about the name of Jesus. And I used to think when I was a kid, what's special about that name? I used to think, what's so special about the name of Jesus? It's not what it sounds like that makes it special. Friends, it's not even what it means in Hebrew that makes it special. It's who he is. His name is who he is. So when we're sent out, go in my name. We go in his authority. We've been given his name. And if you've been given his name, listen, we are, oh man, this is so cool. When we were created, we were the image bearers of God. But now we've been born again. We are not just the image bearers, we're the name bearers. We bear his name. And guys, when you bear his name, 
That means that you bear His authority. That means that you bear His power. As long as you're hearing His voice, following His voice, you're speaking, walking, acting, praying as if Jesus were doing those very things through you. Because He is. Doesn't that change everything? Doesn't that change everything? Praise the Lord. Well, I'm getting off topic a little bit, but it's fun. I don't regret it. <laughs> I'm reminded of when Jesus... Let's, let's just talk about this for a minute. In fact, you know what? We're not going to go to that verse I told you. We'll go somewhere else in a minute. But I want to just tell you a quick story. Do you remember when Jesus uh, came and, and the disciples were, were throwing down... and or Sorry, not throwing down. They had been fishing and they were cleaning their nets... And Jesus actually preached for a while. They're cleaning his, their nets while he's preaching. That's respect. Um, <laughs> but they've been fishing all night, so they get a pass, I guess. And he says, cast out into the deep. And he tells them to throw their nets over the side. And then he, Peter says, Lord, we've been, we've been working all night. We've got nothing. He says, cast, throw down your nets for a catch. I like that. I like the way he says that, right? He doesn't say, throw down your nets, see what happens. He says, throw it down your nets for a catch. You're going to get a catch. So they throw it. He tells them what side to throw it over. They throw it over. And, of course, as you know, those fish come, and there's so much that the ship itself, the boats, begin to sink. Peter falls on his knees and says, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And then what does Jesus say? I mean, then, you know, some of the brothers, some of the friends come, come near, and, and, and they gather around, and Jesus says, and see, I've always viewed this Bible story and I've always thought of God's provision, right? God providing for us as well. You should, because that's what he did. He provided for them. Can you imagine how much money they made off selling that fish? He Probably kept the ministry going for some time. But that's not the issue, is it? Because what does he say? I see. I've always looked at that, 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 that reference and viewed it as just, you know, well, uh, he told them to throw over for a catch. They got a catch. God provided. But if you keep reading, he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Actually, I'm sorry. He said when, when he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men, that was when he first called them. He'd already said that to him. But this time he said, from now on, you're going to be catching men. I like that. But see, I've always separated those thoughts. And when I think of fishers of men, I think of that little kid with the cane pole sitting on the dock waiting for a bite. And that's always the way I viewed it. I'm sorry. I'm just going to be honest with you. I've always just viewed fishers of men being like this. <sighs> One of these days, someone's going to want to hear what I have to say about Jesus. <laughs> Sound a little bit like Bill Clinton. <laughs> One of these days, someone's going to hear what I have to say about Jesus. One of these days, somebody's going to nibble on my line. You know, we're waiting for that nibble on the line. As we go through the mall, somebody just to say something and nibble on the line. And we go, oh, reel them in. I know what to do. I've got a track. All right, here you go. But that's not how they caught fish that day. They didn't catch one or two. What did they do? The Lord told them where to throw a net. And they took in more fish than their boat could handle. And he ties that with from now on, you will be catching men. The first thing he told them is you're going to be fishers of men, which doesn't doesn't really say you're going to be successful or not. Just going to mean you're going to be fishing. But now he's giving them 
success. He's saying, you're not just going to be fishers of men. You're going to be catching men. Because I know I have enjoyed it, but many times I've sat on that boat and, and just waited and, and, and had very little happen throughout the whole day. And I still enjoy it because it's calm, it's nature, it's beautiful. But can you imagine if you said, I'm not going fishing today, I'm going catching. You know, because fishing could mean that you spend all day in the boat just waiting for something to happen. But catching means you've got some work to do. There are people that are coming in. Have you ever considered that the Lord knows who's ready to be harvested? That the Lord knows which fields are white? That there have been seeds sown in Lloyd Minster that are waiting to be brought in. And Jesus doesn't say, pray that the Lord would just cause them to harvest themselves and show up in church on Sunday morning. No, he says, pray that the Lord would send out workers into the field. This is what Jesus told them to pray. Don't pray that they come to our meetings, even though we do pray that. But he doesn't say, yeah, just pray that they get it together. And they eventually come and find you. Now he says, look. This is in, in the chapter in John chapter four. He says, look, lift up your eyes. Now, I remember when the Lord really clicked this in with me. Because it, I had heard that verse many times. But there was a period of time where I was just working. And I'm just working. I'm getting stuff done. I'm doing it like I know it's supposed to be done. And I'm just trudging away. And I remember praying at one point. The Lord just had me look at that verse. And he said, lift up your eyes. And it was almost like somebody took my chin and lifted it from the immediate work that I was looking at the whole time. I was looking at the ground the whole time. And I was, I mean, really, to be honest, I was trudging away at a piece of ground that hadn't borne any fruit in a long time. And he, it's like he took my head up, tilted it up and said, Look to the fields. They're white unto harvest. Which those of you who understand that know it means they're ready to be brought in. Sometimes we just sometimes we've just been toiling away at the same piece of dirt. And we're looking at our feet the whole time, going, Why aren't you growing? Why don't you just grow? And the Lord says, Look to the fields. Probably some of the places you haven't been yet. Some of the people you haven't talked to yet. Some of the people you don't think you have a right to say anything to. Look to the fields. They're white. Under harvest. Now pray that the Lord would send workers into the fields. Because then we can all join together. And we can rejoice when we bring this harvest in together. Because he says even now the workers are rejoicing in their labor. There's joy in the labor. There's joy in the harvest. I mean, we are, we are planters. We are waterers. But guys, we have come to an age, we've come to a time in history where more than anything, we must be harvesters. You know how to plant the seed. You know how to water the seed. But let's be harvesters. Let's share that joy. He says, from now on, you're going to be catching men. And many of us feel like we're going through life waiting for a nibble on the line. Waiting for somebody just to come, come to us and eventually just, you know, kind of peak a conversation and then we'll get it going. And we, we tend, here's the problem, is that if you've been witnessing long enough, but you've been doing it in your own strength, then you tend to go to a pattern. 
Don't you know that's what the disciples did? They went back to the same old way they've always fished. And you go back to a pattern of the way somebody taught you to witness to people, of the way somebody taught you to share your faith with people, instead of listening to the voice of the Spirit that knows all. Can I tell you something? People don't think like they thought in the 50s. They don't think. They're not asking the same questions. They have the same needs, but they're not asking the same questions. So if you go back to the way somebody taught you to do in the 50s, and now I'm not, maybe somebody taught you to do in the 50s, they taught you to do in the power of the Spirit. Many of you were not born again in the 50s. I'd be surprised. If, were you born again in the 50s? No, nobody here was born again in the 50s. But let's just think about it. Many of those methods, many of those things are just intellectual ways to convince somebody to get born again. But people do not get born again with their minds. They get born again with their spirits. So how do you witness, how do you share your faith with somebody? You let the Spirit of God speak through your spirit to their spirit. You begin to, as the book of 1 Corinthians says, you begin to combine and interpret spiritual thoughts for spiritual men. You begin to say what the Spirit of the Lord would have you say. Because all this time, we're throwing our nets into the boat on the other side of the boat, and we're wondering why nothing happens because we're doing it in our own strength, our own understanding, in our own lack of faith at times. When God is saying, here, let me tell you where to throw your net. Let me tell you when to throw your net for a catch. Right now, you're going to be catches of men. Why? Because Jesus loves them. Have you ever, have you ever, have you ever just thought how much how much he loved you. And I know we all have thought this. I mean, lately, I told my wife this a few days ago. I said, I feel like I'm being pursued. Just, I mean, it's just been this, I've always known that he loved me. And I, I've always understood that, but I feel more than ever like I'm being pursued. Like, like, like he's, like the Lord is after my heart in a whole new way. And, and guys, you know me. Most of you know me for years. It's not that I've, you know, not known that or not preached that. But he's, but he's showing me even more. And, and the more I know, the more I can't wait to reconcile others to that same love. You know, I think about it like this. My wife and I, we, we, we prepare meals for each other. And, and we have fun and we, we always, you know hope that we can get that jackpot that the other one goes, oh, this is amazing. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for that that first noise that's not even a word. It's just, oh, this is good, right? And for Valentine's Day, I was going to fix my wife a meal, a very nice meal in, in my estimation. I wanted to do the best meal I could, so I told her, stay in the room. You lock yourself in your dressing room. You do whatever you need to do. I'm preparing a meal. Well, she kept trying to come out and be with me. And I kept telling her, go back in the room. I'm making you something. <laughs> it's Valentine's Day, guys. And I'm, I'm more in love with this chicken right now than, than my... Well, I'm, I'm still in love with my wife. I'm doing it for my wife. I'm making this for my wife. But she wants to be with me. And I want to be with the sauce. Because <laughs> so I want it to be some surprise. But you realize at some point, I, I'm missing the point. Because this whole night was about being together. And I'm telling her to go hide in a room <laughs> while I make a meal. And, 
And I felt like that's what God was saying to me. Because I know you're working for me. You're doing it out of love for me. But you keep, you keep focusing on what you're doing. And you forget, I'm, I'm trying to spend time with you. I'm trying to talk to you. I'm after your heart. And what you do for me is not as important as your heart. Because if your heart's there, you will work. If your heart's there, you will follow with action. But that's not what I'm after. I'm after you. So I said to Tia a a couple days ago, I said, Tia, I feel like I'm being pursued. Like he's after my heart all over again. Like I'm softening in areas I didn't know I could soften in. And, And this is what we need. If we're, gonna, if we're going to be catchers of men, you first have to allow yourself to be caught. Now, I know you said, I've been caught. I've been born again. I, I, I've been serving the Lord. I haven't gone away. But you have to allow your heart to be embraced. You have to allow your heart to be fully immersed. You've been baptized into His death and into His resurrection. You've been baptized into Jesus Christ. And baptized does not mean sprinkled. Baptized means dunked, immersed, soaked through, saturated in Him. And so this is the thing. As long as we're saying, as long as those people that we're talking to, those people that, that, that the Lord sends us to, as long as they're just stars on a chart, that we're going to get points for witnessing, you're not going to see power in your sharing of the gospel. They are not numbers. They're not statistics. They're not points. They're not stars. They are human beings that Jesus died for. And when you can embrace the love He has for them, you can share the gospel in a whole new power because now you're not doing it in your own strength, out of duty, out of obligation, because somehow, you know, you'll get some points if you do it. Instead, now you're saying, God loved me enough to chase me. I love them because Jesus loves them. And if he wants to chase them through me, use me, Lord. And when you communicate that to somebody, instead of like trying to take them through a little, a, a little uh, pre-arranged course that you've thought out, you're now speaking in the spirit of God because you're coming in his name. Do you think Jesus talked to everybody the same way? In fact, we know he didn't, right? Everybody that comes to Jesus, what if he, what if Jesus, everybody that came to him, he just like led them down the same path. He, you know, the rich young ruler, the centurion, the Samaritan, the Syrophoenician woman. If, what if all of them, he had just said the same thing to them? Um, let, me, let me get my notes out here, okay. Um, first of all, um, do you believe the law and the prophets? Yes. Okay, check. Okay, um, so what do you think when Moses says this? Well, I think that's this. Okay, that's good. Check. All right. So when Moses said that, um, you know, like, I mean, really? What if he had done that? They need different things. They've been going through different things. Their hearts in different places. Their minds in different places. Jesus was not led by the flesh. He was led by the spirit. He knew their thoughts. He knew their heart. And you say, well, that's Jesus. Yeah, but Jesus was operating as a man with the spirit of God. He was always the son of God. He was always God. And yet he laid aside that godly, you know, I can read your thoughts thing and began to just flow in the spirit. So when he knew their thoughts, do you think it's just because he was psychic? No. Who told him? The Spirit of God. Do you have that same spirit? Yes. 
Would it freak you out to know that the Spirit of God may lay on your heart what they're thinking? You can't use this as a party trick. But when you're witnessing to somebody, you may already know what they're going through. I ministered in one place where there was a, a prophet of God who was so specific. It was at a youth conference, and um, there were there were many youth there, as, as there are. You don't know how many church youth don't really believe what you think they believe. If they've just been forced to come to church and they just sat there and they just let it go over their heads, a lot of them, you know, they need a touch from the king. They need their hearts really softened because if you sat there and you've never done anything with the words you have, your heart's getting harder and harder. There were a good degree of youth there that stopped believing in God, still went to church camp, but didn't believe in the Lord. That's, that's frightening because you don't know because they're not out getting drunk. They're just out there hardening their heart the whole time until they can go to college, get out of the house. Well, we don't want that to happen at all, do we? So what does it take to soften a heart like that? Sometimes it takes signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And, and so there were, there were these youth there, and, and there were many that admitted later they, they'd stopped believing there was a God. And this prophet called many of them up, and he would prophesy to them. And guys, I've told you this before, I think, but it was so specific. It was not like, I know your heart. You know me, I know you, we know each other. Yea, therefore I say, listen to me, for my ways are good. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And I'm saying this by the Spirit of the Lord. Simply obey, and you will eat the good of the land. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, right? But it could be very vague. It could be a, This guy was like, Wednesday night, or sorry, Wednesday, 2 o'clock, Last week, you were in your truck. You were crying. I saw you. And this is what I want to say to you. And they'd whisper something in their ear, and they'd break down crying. These are kids that stopped believing in God, you know, years ago. And they break down crying. And I heard their testimonies that I said, he knew things about me that no one else knew. Don't you think God can do that through you? Don't you think the Holy Spirit knows what they need to hear? I know this message is, is a lot simpler than, than most of the messages we may hear. But, but I, I want to encourage you to know what you have. Now, if you're saying, I've just got to get people born again because it's a great commission, I'm supposed to do it. Well, I admire you. I give you a clap for doing that. But you're not going to have a lot of success. What you need to do is let the Lord minister to you that knowledge of how much He loves you and how much He loves them and minister to you that joy of your salvation so that you don't feel, I have to go, that you want to go and share your faith. Because it's going to come across different. When you have to, People get that I'm just a, a customer to you. People get that you're just pitching me on something. When you are truly sold out and you're in love with Jesus and you know he's in love with you and you know that he's in love with the person you're talking to, then all of a sudden you don't talk to them like they're another stat. You talk to them like they're a human being with a spirit that needs Jesus. I want us to read. In the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians 5. This has gone a bit of a different direction than we thought it would go. But that's okay, amen? 
2 Corinthians 5. And we're going to go to verse 13. I just believe that harvest is here. Harvest time has arrived. And, and, and you folks are more filled with the word, more filled with the spirit, more filled with the love of God than you could ever imagine. And, and you've been hearing the word for years. So you're ready. I mean, you've been ready. Now, many of you say, yeah, I, I share the Lord. With, I, I mean, I share my faith all the time. I, I've been leading people to Jesus. Then praise the Lord. Keep on going. And I just want to encourage you. When we think about what Jesus said, throw down your nets for a catch. He showed us how to win. He showed us how to lead people to Jesus. Guess what? The first big campaign that these guys did by themselves without Jesus, how did it go? Do you remember the day of Pentecost? Peter gets up. The other 11 take their stand with Peter, and he preaches in the direct utterance of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit, he preaches a powerful sermon that wasn't, wasn't what I would preach in front of a bunch of people in Jerusalem where you're, you're still wanted criminals and you get up and say, you crucified him. Yeah, you. It's not a way to win a crowd. <laughs> see, if you're doing it in your own flesh, you're like, see, guys, I know you made a mistake. Um, mistakes were made. We're going to leave that all behind. <laughs> Things were said that we none of us meant. You know, we would try to we would try to somehow work around the issue that they crucified Jesus, and they being all of the people, not just the Jews, but all of them that were there. That you crucified Jesus, you crucified the Holy One, and yet he said, He starts out with this. Then he tells them that the Lord is now offering forgiveness, that they can repent and return, that times of refreshing can come in the presence of God. And three thousand men get born again that day. Added to their number, it says. Which means that they didn't just say a prayer. It means they started coming to church. Praise the Lord. That day. Does that sound familiar? That sounds to me like Peter just learned how to throw a net over the side and bring in more fish than his boat could handle. Don't you know they brought in more souls that day than their church could handle? They were meeting in an upper room, 120 of them squeezed into a little room. Now where are we going to put 3,000 people? Let's split them up. <laughs> They're daily continuing to the temple, praying, devoting themselves to the word and to prayer and to each other. This is awesome. But you can do the same thing. We've been equipped with the same nets, the same boat, the same Jesus that says, you've been trying this in your own strength for too long. You've been trying to win people to the Lord because you knew it was the right thing to do. But take some time and ask me what they need. Take some time and ask me where to put that net. And you're going to get a catch. You're not going to spend your whole time fishing. You're about to get a catch. Wants to go fishing? Second Corinthians five. Many of you don't know Elmer Barnes. I'm dismayed. Elmer Barnes was a big character in my childhood. And Elmer Barnes always said, "You wants to go fishing." And uh, I think of Elmer Barnes every now and then when I think of being fishers of men. I think to myself, "You want to go fishing?" <laughs> he was always after Big Daddy. Second <laughs> Corinthians five. Verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. 
If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. I want us all to read that again. The love of Christ controls us. What controls us? The love of Christ. Here it does not even say, you know, I mean, in other places he says, I'm constrained. He says, he says you know, I, I'm bound to this gospel. He says, I'm an ambassador in chains. There are times where he indicates, I can't do anything else. I know that I'm supposed to do this. I know I must do this. But here he says, the love of Christ is what's controlling us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. It says this. In verse 14, or sorry, 15. And he died for all, that they who live. Now, now you see this. He died for all, but there's only a certain amount that are living, right? Because what, when we got born again, we, were not, we didn't just die. We were born again. We were raised with him. So even though he died for all, not all have been raised. That's your part. That's why we witness. That's why we share the gospel. That's why we share the good news. Because there are those who are still dead that are about to be woken up. Here's what he says. That those who live shall no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, Yet now we know him thus no longer. Now, I've always thought of this as people in the church. But you see, he says no man. We recognize no one according to the flesh. We don't see them as they as everyone else sees them. We recognize people for what they are. A spirit. Somebody that needs Jesus. If they've received Jesus, there's somebody who's walking in a grace that's not their own. There's somebody that's walking in a power that's not their own. And they may be the most untalented ugly, stupid people you've ever met. And yet when the Lord gets a hold of them, they can be used for great and mighty things. We recognize no one according to the flesh, just as we once recognized Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God. What things? The new things. All the new things he's put inside you since you got born again are from God. All these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. I want you to hear what that means. He reconciled us. What does reconciled mean? Brought back together with, right? He reconciled us to himself through Christ. This is the gospel, the good news. See, the gospel can never stop being good news to us. It is good news. And if we're having a hard time sharing it, we don't recognize the power of the gospel. The scripture says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for in it lies the power of God unto salvation. So here's the deal. He says he reconciled us to himself. That's what happened to you when you got born again. You were separated from God, from the blessing of God, from the power of God, from the love of God, from his very presence. There was a gap. That your sin put in between you and God. Now he, even though you were the one that walked away, even though you were the one that rebelled, Jesus loved you enough 
to take every rebellion, every sin, every stupid thing you've ever done or said onto himself as if he was the one that did it and brought you back with Jesus, brought you back with God, reconciled you through his own body, his own wounds, his own stripes, his own blood, his own piercings in his side. He was bringing you back. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. We are not preaching a religion. We are not preaching a doctrine, even though doctrine comes into it. We are preaching Christ, Him crucified and resurrected. And we are saying, be reconciled to God. Here's what it says. He has reconciled us to Himself through Christ. So who did the reconciling? You may have thought you did the reconciling because you're the one that prayed the prayer. It says he did the reconciling. You just said yes to it. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, I want you to see that. What does it mean to minister something to somebody? It means to serve them with it, to, to give it to them, to, to lay it out to them. To minister something, I mean... I mean, you think about it, a waiter or a waitress is a minister. They minister to us. They, they bring things to us. They minister things to us. So when we're made a minister of something, it means that God put it in our hands to bring and give to somebody. And it says that he gave us that ministry. Now, I want you to see that because that, that has changed my perspective, is that when he says all these things are from God, reconciled us to himself through Christ, he says he gave us his ministry. He gave it to us. We didn't have to take it. We didn't have to make it up. We didn't have to create it. He gave us the ministry. Now, if he gave us the ministry, it's still his. But now he's given it to you. It's been given. What have we talked about throughout Judges, throughout uh, uh, the, the Israelites going into the, into the promised land? We've talked about how the, all they had to realize was that it was given to them so that they could walk in. And when I realized that he gave me the ministry of reconciliation, I realized I can't fail because I didn't begin. I didn't start the ministry. I didn't create that ministry. I didn't make it up. He gave it to me. And if he gave it to me, it works. If he gave it to me, it's got power. If he gave it to me, he's still the one doing everything. He's the one doing the reconciling. We just minister it to others. So what does that mean? That means there are people that you know, there are people you have contact with that are ready to hear, God is not going to be angry forever. In fact, he has already paid be reconciled to God. This is what he says in the next verse, verse 19. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Have you, hear, have you heard that? Have you really thought of what that means? What is the word of reconciliation that God put, gave you the word of reconciliation? He gave you the word of reconciliation. He didn't just give you the, 
the, um, the command to go reconcile people. He actually gave you the word of reconciliation. He gave you the word that was going to do all the power, all the work. Everything is in that word. And here's what he says. He's, that the whole thing is that God was in Christ reconciling, bringing back the world to himself, not counting their, their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us. He's put it in our hands. He's given us the privilege and the honor to have the word of reconciliation in our mouth. And that is not a fleshly thing. That is not a boring thing. That is not a duty thing. That is an honor. You get to tell the greatest news the world has ever seen. You get to tell everybody the greatest news they're ever going to hear in their life. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us. And I'm reading from the pre-1995 update. Here's what it says here. I like that better. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. Do you hear that? Does that change how you witness? Have you ever gone to somebody and go, Instead of me trying to convince you to be born again, I'm going to let God appeal to you through me. What does God sound like when he's appealing to somebody? What is an appeal? An appeal is a plea. It's, a, it's, it's an earnest um, attempt to, to bring somebody back. And so when God is making that an appeal, he's making it through us. This is the coolest thing. Is that I don't have to go and convince somebody to get born again. I just have to let God make his appeal through me. And let him do everything he wants to do. Cast your net on the other side for a catch. I just got to let him make an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ. Not on behalf of our church. Not on behalf of our pastor. Not on behalf of our Sunday school class that said let's get 50 people born again. We're begging you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. That's the gospel. Man, I'm so excited about this. This is what it is. We go out there and we say, be reconciled to God. Oh, they're going to say, well, what are your views on this? Or what do you think about this political party? Don't you think Christian? They say, forget that for a minute, dude. What about this? I got all this in my life. You know what? Be reconciled to God and God will fix that stuff in your life. I'm not here trying to tell you what's right and what's wrong. I mean, you got to know what's right and what's wrong. And if the Lord leads me to tell you that just so you can be convinced you need a savior, I'm going to tell you that. But I'm not here to tell you and give you the five points of Christian doctrine. I'm not here to to give you, you know, uh, the Nicene Creed. I'm not here to do all of these things. I am here to see you reconcile to God through Jesus Christ, through his blood, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is the only way to God, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm begging you, he's making an appeal through me. Be reconciled to God. He wants you back. That's the message. I've been telling you. And you know, it's going to come out different ways every time because every person is a different person. Every spirit is a different spirit. And the big message that God is giving to humanity is, I want you back. How would we act? How would we act if we thought that way? Because here's the deal. We're the ones that messed up. God is not like an abusive husband that says, I'm sorry, baby. I'll never hit you again. I want you back. We were the abusers. God is the one that says, I paid for it all. And I want you back. Isn't that good news? Isn't that something worth sharing? 
God wants you back. He wants you back, and let me tell you how you can get back. It's Jesus. And I know that we are a group of people who probably amongst yourselves have led many, 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 many people to the Lord. But I am aware that we can't go through life doing what we've always done. There is a great harvest. There is a great harvest at hand. There are, I, 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 I pray that every Bible-believing church in Lloydminster would be filled to the brim. That the streets would be full of songs praising the Lord. That, that the bars would close because no one's showing up. That, that, that these, these things that we've been fighting, listen guys, we've been fighting through legislation trying to get people in line. But if we got them born again, it wouldn't be an issue. You wouldn't have to create laws keeping people from doing these things. They would already know the Spirit of the Lord is in me, and it is a grievance to Him for me to do these things. So I'm not doing it because of a law. I'm doing it because I love Jesus. Now this takes us thinking a whole new way. You've been good believers. And many times we'll hear a, a powerful sermon about witnessing, and we'll go to ourselves, ah, i got to do that more. If that's the attitude you go and share the gospel in, I got to do that more. <laughs> like it's time to clean the toilet. People get that. I get that I'm just a number to you. I get that you're not really looking at me. You're looking at your stats. And I'm not a stat. You know, as a generation, we've been pitched to, marketed to more than any other group on the face of the planet has ever gone before. We've been the target market. We're used to being marketed to. We're used to being pitched to. We're used to people acting like they care about us but not really caring about us. It's time to give them something different. It's time to tell them, God wants you back, and I'm the one he's using to do it. This is the message, the word of reconciliation. And it's in the power of the cross. The message of the cross is the power of God. That is the power of God. So let's never stray from the cross and the resurrection. When we say God wants you back, you've got to tell him how he got you back. Because the message of the cross is the most beautiful message. I told you last week, I was reading a book and it was talking about all, it was listing all these scriptures about what, I mean, it was just a very simple book and I, you know, probably... It was just a regular book of scriptures. It wasn't like a doctrinal thing. And I was just reading these scriptures. But the scriptures were talking about what Jesus did on the cross. And I fell more in love with him. Don't you think that's going to happen? When you tell people what Jesus really did for them, now there'll be those that reject you. There'll be those that walk away. But there are going to be many, 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 many that will be harvested. The fields are white. Amen. Would we stand up? Praise the Lord. I know that we've gone a little bit longer than I would normally go. But I do want to pray with you. And I do want um, God to be able to do something in your heart. So here's what we're going to do. If you say, I want to be controlled by the love of Christ. Now, now I recognize, I know many of you are already doing this. You're already walking in. But if you're saying, listen witnessing to people, sharing my faith has become a bit of a chore, but I don't want it to be a chore anymore. I want it to be something I want to do. I want that desire. I want the desire, and I want the power. Those are two things. I want the desire, and I want the power to see people born again on a greater level. 
Would you come forward? We're going to pray with you right now. In Jesus' name. We are going to pray with you right now. Josh, would you come here? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord.